This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Crime Search USA with on location reporter Lauren Sutliff. This week on Crime Search, multiple killing sprees, multiple asylum escapes, and now multiple faces. It's the story of the family serial killer, only on Crime Search USA with Lauren Sutliff. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Father's Day on Pod Cemetery and another sick recording. We are a sick, sick household, although this time Juniper is feeling just fine, <laughs> which I guess we can all be thankful for. Yes, thank goodness. So we do apologize if there are some sniffles or other gross sounds that you end up hearing. It's basically this or you get nothing. <laughs> you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Let's hop right into Father's Day with a movie subtitled in some ways, Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, Happy Father's Day, Day to all the dads out there. 1992's Stepfather 3 Written and directed by Guy Magar, co-written by Mark B. Ray, with characters by Carolyn Leftcourt, Brian Garfield, and Donald E. Westlake, starring Robert Whiteman, Priscilla Barnes, Season Hubley, David Tom, and John Ingle, the principal from Heathers. <laughs> the movie was a TV movie, which originally aired on HBO. HBO? Yeah. This is not HBO quality. Well, this is 1992. This is before HBO television, like, meant something. Uh, HBO at the time was just a place where you could watch movies unedited, right? Like, that was what HBO was all about. Or to, up to R, at least. Because apparently, shows. yeah, apparently there is an X-rated version of this movie. What? Uh, I cannot verify that, but the account is, is that the kills are just more graphic. You can see more blood. Okay. And that's, like, the difference. Kelsey, what is Stepfather 3 about? It's the same thing as the other two. He finds a new family. Wait a minute, I thought he was caught again. Yes, he escapes and changes his face through the miracle of... Back alley plastic surgery. Plastic surgery. <laughs> so he finds a new family and he finds a reason to kill them. Yep, because it's a Stepfather movie. Yep. They found what is essential about a Stepfather movie, and they just did that. Yes. Now, the movie is available for free with ads on a ton of different services. You can also rent it for $3 on Amazon, or $4 on Fling, or even buy it for $10 on Fling. Kelsey, should people watch Stepfather 3? Absolutely not. Totally unnecessary. Yeah. No. Like, completely un- Like, it does not need to exist. Just watch the first one. Yeah. That's the only one anyone should see. I would even say, even if you have watched the second one, and you liked it, right, and you'd want more, still 
This one is completely unnecessary. It does absolutely nothing new. It does absolutely nothing unique. It just has a new actor because the other actor was like, nah, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> Terry O'Quinn, uh, famously stepfather. Uh, yeah, it says he didn't want to do this one. So they had to get another actor. So they had to have that plastic surgery subplot, which doesn't amount to a whole lot. It just adds more clues. Well, it makes more sense as to why he wouldn't get caught easily right, again. Totally. Yeah. But in any case, you don't really need to worry about it because you're not going to watch it if you listen to us. But, of course, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1992's Stepfather 3, Father's Day. In a perfect community, a perfect mom. I love you very much, Andy. Can meet a perfect stranger. You found us. I sure did. She knows what she wants. Oh, I want to make love to you. She knows what she feels. I do. But what she doesn't know... You are the most incredible man I have ever known. ...could kill her. Authorities have finally come up with their first solid lead on the escaped family serial killer. What are those scars behind your ears? You're gonna look like a man. Different but quite normal. Authorities believe the wanted killer had plastic surgery and then murdered the physician at least nine months ago. I want to find out who my stepfather really is. Abby, now you're taking this too far. It's got to stop right now. You have no idea how important my family is to me. Here's the most recent photograph of the family serial killer. He's considered extremely dangerous. I know what's going on, you know. Silence is golden, Mr. Thompson. In a mind of madness. This is your home. I am your daddy. There is no right. Has he ever hurt you? There is no wrong. You just can't break up the family. There is no mercy. Oh my God. Stepfather 3. A family tradition continues. Sleep tight. Daddy needs a family. Don't let the bed bugs bite. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Stepfather 3 begin? A hooded man walks around the docks in the rain, but don't be, don't get excited. This is not... Terry O'Quinn. I know what you did last summer. Right. He is just looking for a back alley plastic surgeon who seems to work in the docks area. Yeah, I guess he works at the docks, you know, as you do. Yes. And he does it for money. He did not intend for this guy to stay during the healing process, but he has nowhere else to go. I, I, before we move on, I will. I just want to say, either they did some really good special effects and, you know, cut up some real things like pigs or whatever. That's the second option. Or this is real surgery footage. Like, it looks really, really good. Sure, I don't really remember it. <laughs> I just remember, like, yeah, they had these sort of weird, like, blues or reds or whatever it is. Because, you know, it's the 90s and we're filming something in a back alley. So it's it just has those gels over all the lights. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, that atmospheric lighting. Uh, you could have easily taken real footage of something and then just tinted the film and get, got the same result. It just looks really good. It reminded me a lot of... Is it Minority Report where he gets the, yeah, the eye surgery? Yeah, but then there's also, like, Batman with the Joker surgery. There's oh, yeah. Two-Face with his surgery from the cartoon. You know, the whole, like, mirror, bring me the mirror. You know, like, one of those sorts of things. <laughs> 
Well, they do show him building a little house like he does in, is it two or is it both? I think it's two at least. He builds like a model house, yes. Yes. So they brought that back, but just for this scene. And I knew the whole time he was going to end up killing the doctor. Right, yeah. I mean, he gives him the money first. Obviously, he needs that before he's going to do the surgery. But he doesn't ever show him taking the money back. (laughs) So, you know, whatever. He probably spent it in the time because it takes time. Yeah. When he kills the guy, he uses this one of the like saws. It's like a bone saw, yeah. To go after his neck, but he's nowhere near yeah, his neck. He pulls it across the neck too. You can tell he's nowhere near it, and there's no cut when he does it. It's bad. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yes, cut to nine months later, Deerview, California, Easter Sunday. Apparently a lot of this was filmed in Simi Valley. I have cousins that live in Simi Valley, so it's funny. We meet our new version of Terry O'Quinn, played by... This is Robert Whiteman, playing Keith Grant. He has, like, a full name and everything. Yes, but he's a very annoying character. He's, he is. He's not cutting and scary. He's just irritating. Yes, and he's very Waja. Like, there are some moments where it's, like, I guess... Probably the more common term is cringe now. It kind of came up afterwards, but he is. There's so many moments in this movie where it's just cringe, where he's going to get found out, and you're just like, "Oh no, I don't want to see." Oh god, because it's embarrassment by proxy. It's not, you know. Oh no, he's going to get caught. It's like you're embarrassed for him almost. He's that just kind of nothing of a character, mm-hmm. and he's like the worst version of him. Like every version, he gets more and more like. Straight edge. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know? And in this one, he's obnoxiously so, again. And he's dressed up as the Easter Bunny. And I cannot <laughs> express how terrifying he is as the Easter Bunny. <laughs> like, if I was a kid, he would frighten me. If we don't have enough Easter killer movies, you could just have done that instead. Uh-huh. <laughs> also, we have a kid in a wheelchair who is rad. Yeah, I love his glasses and his his clothes, his hair. Uh, This is radical! He's great. This is Andy. Who would grow up to be Whitey in Pleasantville. Oh, yeah, Uh uh-huh. I liked that up. And, like, they have an annual Easter dance where he will dance with uh, this kid in the wheelchair's mom they met during the day. And I'm like, what place has an Easter dance? Just wholesome towns. White sure. picket fences, Kelsey. I guess. So this mom is uh, Priscilla Barnes. The character's name is Christine Davis. She was sort of the new Suzanne Summers in Three's Company after Suzanne Summers left. She played uh, Terry. Uh, but probably more importantly, at least to my upbringing, she is Ivana in Mall Rats. She's the one that can tell the future with her third nipple. Yes. That's where the joke fuckus comes from. Fuckus. That's what I was thinking. She said focus. Whatever. Mm-hmm. That's where I, I could not stop imagining that the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because she's this wholesome mom. In this yeah. Movie. <laughs> so we find out that Andy is this computer whiz and he loves computer games and he plays this detective. <laughs> so weird. And he and the priest talk about it a lot. I mean, I guess it's not too weird. I played Sherlock Holmes games. Like, there were the the Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective series of games that came out 
Uh, that's why I got a CD-ROM for the first time, was specifically so I could play that game. And it's very, very similar in that if you can identify who the killer is and what their means, motive, opportunity were, answer a couple of questions from the judge, and you succeed that way. And you need to find out who it is by going around interviewing people, you know, looking in newspapers, doing the research and all the legwork. It's very, very interesting. So I guess I can't really judge him for this. Because that was that was I was probably doing the same thing when I was his age. But so there, he and the priest are discussing the latest game, and he, the kid, says, "I think it might be the gardener." And the priest says, "It's never the gardener." The gardener is the stepfather. He he is now a gardener. He's not in real estate anymore. Yeah, he's even more wholesome and straight edge. <laughs> he's a gardener. He's making flowers. <laughs> Maybe he was always into that. I don't remember. But so he's at the dance, still has the makeup on as uh-huh. the bunny. As the bunny, yeah. And I'm like, why? For what purpose? This is so dumb. We also meet Mark at this moment who comes and interrupts their dance. Now, at first you're like, oh, Mark is Andy's dad, her ex. And it's like, no, he's just an ex-boyfriend. They dated for three months. And then she broke up with him two weeks ago. And I guess he says he's doing it for the two of them. It sounds like she actually invited him there that night because she was going to be there alone. And I don't know. Like, it's really, really weird. I don't know why they didn't just... Well, I guess I do know why. He needs to kill somebody and it can't be this the other dad. Well, also, I mean, they're also trying to make you think that he's going to be the stepfather. Because he's super aggressive. I, I mean, maybe. Yeah. Because they never I didn't show even you. Think about that. Yeah. You they didn't never think about that. Yeah. Like, no. I thought about that. I was like, oh, they're I trying mean, to make me think that it's we him. Knew who he was. I feel. But yeah, I wrote down. Oh, this guy's gonna die for sure. Yeah. They go on a few dates. I guess they go to a park and have a picnic. Well, doesn't the at some point don't they? Is she a teacher? Is that her job? No, she's a principal. I don't remember. Yeah, she's like an ad- a school administrator. Yeah. But at some point, like, she is approached by a little girl, and the little girl has to go to the bathroom. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And they keep this conversation going. It's like this poor little girl is going to appear. It's this weird moment, because first he shows up with flowers, and they agree to date again, and then Mark shows up, and Mark's like, well, you had time to talk to him. <laughs> it's like, this little girl is going to pee her pants. This is a funny little moment. But somewhere in here... They go on a couple dates. He asks how Andy got in the wheelchair. And apparently, Christine and her husband were arguing, and he got fed up with it, and he ran out of the house into the street and got hit by a car. And then the doctors say there's nothing physically wrong with him. It's just psychosomatic. He should be able to walk. He should be able to walk. And so the audience goes immediately, well, that's going to be a plot point later on in the movie. Oh, yeah. Sure enough, it is. That's going to come up in the climax. Uh Uh-huh. But so the kid does not like the ex, but he also does not like Keith. He tells the priest. He's a little worried about Keith, yeah. He tells him, uh, we've been spending a lot of time with him, and there's just something about him that really bugs me. He's a square. He tries too hard. He's a real nerd. And the priest is like, yeah, but your mom really likes him, and that counts for a lot. But the kid's like a computer whiz, but like you'd think that the guy would be nervous about that, like that's going to come up, but it- It does. Yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't really interrupt anything. 
there's going to be a point later on where Keith is going to see that the kid is comparing his pictures with oh, pictures right. of Terry O'Quinn. Oh, oh the, the picture stuff goes right. on for way too long. Right, but nothing actually comes of it. He's not like, oh, this kid knows who I am. I'm going to kill him. Like, no, he just doesn't do anything to the kid. It's like, okay, well, all right, fine. But they, you know, it's a whirlwind romance and like, she's, they're talking and he says, oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, because she like wants to have sex. Yes, just like in two, she wants to have sex with him. And he's like, not until we're married. She's like, did you just ask me to marry you? (laughs) No. Yeah, not even a little bit. (laughs) I wish you could stay with me tonight. I want to. I really want to. But I can't do that. Why not? Because I'm not the kind of guy to come into town and just take advantage of a single mother. I'm just not that way. Oh, but I want to make love to you. Not until it's right. Not until we're a family. Keith Grant, did you just ask me to marry you? Not even a little but bit. But they do play it off and they agree, yeah, they're going to get married so they can finally bone down. Bone! And she has this weird pearl veil thing going on. Yeah. That was very odd. Well, I mean, before this happens, he kills Mark. So a couple things happen, right? So he, they get married. He kills Mark and buries him under a flower bed in his property, singing Camptown Ladies. Like in the originals, right? Not and singing, whistling. Whistling, yes. And then uh, he ends up selling his property later to this other woman because he's going to move in with Christine and them now that they're married. But yeah, she has this, I don't know, I thought it was kind of interesting, the pearl veil thing. But also, like, it's just like, how could he do this with his fake persona because right he has no so much paperwork and stuff well now you get married oh i guess it was the 80s i don't know the 90s oh even worse but sure (laughs) but so the kid like catches him in some lies he like he oh he constantly says he's from somewhere else different places yeah charleston louisville he doesn't blink whenever he's like i thought you said you were from there and he's like no i was born there but i moved at a young age to this other place and i actually grew up there and this will happen like three times yes he tries to make andy walk because he knows it's psychosomatic and then he gets mad at him when he doesn't and they're like they they play catch so, yeah, they start to play catch. He's like, I don't, what am I going to do playing football? I'm in a wheelchair. And he's like, don't you say you can't do it. And then they play catch. Andy falls out of the wheelchair. And Keith is like, okay, good. Now stand up and walk. Are you crazy? What? Yeah. I can't do that. Um, he makes him cry. Yeah. And Keith he, is like, fine, then don't. Does he help him get back in the I chair? I don't think he does. I don't remember. You skipped their very sweaty sex scene. Oh, there's a very sweaty sex scene. Where yeah. the guy is not interested, really. Yeah. It's weird. They're like, I mean, you'd think he'd be totally into into that. That'd be part of it for him, you know? It's like, oh, nah, now it is marital sex. This is consummating the marriage. That he'd be into it or something. That would be something to build the character on. But no, he's totally not into it. And they never comment on it again. Well, the reason they're having sex, they're trying to get pregnant. 
she can't get pregnant, yeah, which is that another reason why he doesn't want to stay in this marriage. Right, but I mean, the fact that he's not into the sex is weird. Well, I guess, but no, that that wasn't the second one, remember? Was we it? thought that was really weird. We were like, was that I, in the first one? We the, didn't remember The second being, one just fell out of my head. The entirely. second one was very strange, and I think it involved that. And I th- is it like supposed to be that he's like asexual? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, you'd think there's be some sort of sexual element to it like maybe not like you know genitals sexual but like an excitement element to it he's fulfilling his desires at this point so why is he why does he look bored anyway that could be a a complaint with the second one i don't know go back and listen to that episode and find out while they're playing football the kid's gonna notice that he has the scars behind his ears yeah which is gonna be his first indication that he might not be who he says he is. The guy desperately wants them to be this happy family, but after this football scene, it's obvious they are not. And the kid goes to his real dad, and he asks his real dad if he can stay with him. So his real dad comes to the mother, and he's like, hey, I think that this would be a good idea. And Keith is like, no, he's happy with us. He wants to stay with us. We're going to go fishing. And the kid's like, I don't want to go fishing. I don't see why we're even having this discussion. It sounds like you're encouraging him to go. I can't believe it. Keith, they just want Andy to feel comfortable making up his own mind. Well, what's there to make up your mind about? You like it here, don't you, Slugger? With your mom and me, we go on picnics. I take you go-karting. I know you like that. We build these models together and... Well, we're going to go camping and fishing this summer. Do you remember? I don't want to go fishing. We can do other father-son stuff. And the the birth dad's new wife is uh, Krista Miller, who I remember from the Drew Carey show as Kate, but she was also on Scrubs for a long time. But it's funny. He's like, you have your own kids. You don't need him. Right. We can't break up this family. Just can't break up the family. A lot of that... Okay, it's old hat by now. It's three movies in. Come up with something new. He gets so mad at the fact that the kid wants to go that he goes outside and he's like hacking away at a piece of wood. Just like he does kind of in the second one where he like destroys the birdhouse. He goes into his shop, yeah. Uh Yeah. And remember like the kid, I think it's the daughter or maybe it's the son. I don't remember what it is in the second one. They see that and they go to their teacher and they're like... Isn't this bad? The teacher's like, not really. Sometimes and a I man agree. Needs like, to <laughs> that's a good way for people to get their frustration. Some out. people in certain scenarios, it can be healthy. Yes, but like the kid watches him do this, and he sort of stops realizing he's being watched, and is like, <laughs> and then the kid just closes the blinds. This <laughs> is funny. But the kid decides to go. And when the dad goes inside, he breaks a model airplane, which the mom will find and will also make the mom feel ill at ease. Yes, totally. I gotta say, Keith is more desperate in this than I feel he was in any of the other movies. Or at least the way in which he is desperate is a little bit more uncomfortable than it is. And I don't mean uncomfortable in like a scary way. I feel like Terry O'Quinn getting desperate is uncomfortable. And then Terry O'Quinn... It's scary. Yeah, it is. It's scary, right? In a scary way. And then when Terry O'Quinn has that moment, God, that moment in the first one where he uses the wrong name. Forget it. She probably just got the name wrong or something. Hodgkins, what's to get wrong? What did you say? Huh? Wait a minute. Who am I here? Jerry. 
Jerry. Jerry Blake. Thank you, honey. Like, oh man, that's so cool, right? It's fun. I love it. There's a moment like that in this one where it just it does not hit the same way. Completely falls flat. It, yeah, it falls completely flat. He's back, Keith. We're a family again. Just like you wanted. It's great. It's gonna be great having Nikki home. Nikki? Who's Nikki? Wait a minute. Hold on here. I'm sorry. I was so excited to see him, I forgot what I was thinking. Of course, I know it's Andy. I'm gonna go chop some firewood. In these moments of desperation that you get throughout this, where he's trying to keep the family together, it's it it's embarrassing and uncomfortable and in, in like not an entertaining way. Awkward. Yeah, it's awkward. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I don't like this. In the meantime, he will meet a new woman. Yes, the woman he sold his house to, or at least he's renting his old house to. Who lost her husband like a year or something uh-huh. ago. And, and has, has a, a kid. A son who can and wants to play football. And this woman wants to be with him. And this woman can have kids. I will say it's really funny how, like, looking at it from Keith's perspective, she's doing things that are completely reasonable otherwise. But, like, from his perspective, it's like, God damn it, woman. Because they'll be playing football, and then the priest will show up. And, like, hey, I was just going to talk to this lady here and whatever. And she keeps, like, putting her hand on his back and stuff. And he's like, get, get away from me. <laughs> he knows I'm married to someone else. <laughs> he officiated the wedding. <laughs> but, like, from her perspective, she's just completely innocent. There's just this man she's been seeing that's over at her house. You know, whatever. But yeah, at some point, he's going to say, Daddy needs a family. All I want is a family! Daddy needs a family! Which is probably the creepiest moment for him. When he says, Daddy, because that's always creepy. (laughs) This is your home. I am your daddy now. It is. Like in Hellraiser. Come to Daddy. Come to Daddy. So back at his dad's house. Yeah. Where he just totally ignores his parents calling him to come to dinner. And I was like, well, it's good to know that he doesn't listen to anybody. Right. But I mean, really, when you're like, hey, come to dinner. And he's like, I'm literally in the middle of doing something. And as soon as I'm done with it, I'll be right there. I've never liked it when people have like a zero tolerance policy for that. It's like, I don't care what you're doing and what's important to you and how close you are to being done. TV off. And it's like, wow, that's really shitty. Well, somebody worked their ass off in the kitchen to make you a meal, and you can't be damned to get up and make sure that you eat it when it's hot and it tastes good. I I understand where you're coming from, but he was literally in the middle of a life or death scenario. You don't fucking know. And it was something that could only be done right then and there. Like, is it so important to you that they're there immediately when you call them that you can completely disregard whether or not something is important to them? That's a shitty way to parent, I feel. So, like, I'm okay with the fact that they're like, hey, come on to dinner. And he's like, okay, just one second. And then somebody's like, hey, come on to dinner. And he's like, I will be right there. And they let him. I was like, okay. Well, He did. He was right there. But so he's sitting there talking to them at dinner about what this story that he's been hearing on the news. And he goes... That new story, wow. (laughs) Yes, well, because he's playing up the fact that he has a case that he's interested in without divulging 
that he's talking about his stepdad. I know, but the acting is just yes. really, really bad. And the dad's like, gee, kid, what would the FBI do without you? And then they all laugh out loud. <laughs> it's very, very uh, ridiculous. And meanwhile, Keith is at his gardening business. Yes. And his boss is like, I know you were sleeping with that lady who is renting your house. And he's I like, I saw my truck there, which he drives. Yeah. He's like, no, I didn't. And then he just kills him. He kills him and presumably throws him in the wood chipper. I don't know. No, I don't think so. The wood chipper's running at the time. I think he just buries him. I don't know, but he does it like in broad daylight. Yes, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of stuff happening where you're like, there were no witnesses, really? And then like a family shows up. And they're like, where's this person? He's like, oh, he left. I'm the new manager now. Yeah, well, it's like an interim manager. He'll be back in a couple weeks or whatever. And then he has that time to say, oh, you just never came back. He keeps seeing this woman, even though yes. he's married. Yeah, well, because he realizes he's not going to have a complete family if Andy goes back to live with his father. And he can't play catch with this stupid, ungrateful prick who won't even get up and walk. And I think at one point she says she's telling him like that she wants to get married. She's like, we we can we could be so happy together. And I was like, oh, so happy together. <laughs> I love and that song. They have another similar moment where it's like she's like, okay, well then let's get married. You know, she wants to have sex, and he's uh -huh. like, no. He is like, I, I gotta take care of some stuff first, meaning he has to go home and kill his and kill wife. His yeah, and he gets home, and Andy's back. Yes. And he's like, okay, well, I guess it would be easier if I just keep the family I have and then break it off with this other woman. But he doesn't break it off. He just stops talking to her. Well... I don't think enough time passes. Yeah, not that. very much time passes. Yeah. But so when he comes home, he's like, oh, great. Nikki's here. And she's like, who's Nikki? Uh-huh. Nikki's the other woman's son, which is going to come to a head when the other woman tries to enroll Nikki in Christine's school. Yeah. Like the next day, she's like, this is my son, Nikki. It's like, what? Nikki? Oh, no. And then he, he shows up with flowers and looks in and sees that they're there. He's like, oh, shit. I got to get out of here. Uh-huh. So there's that sort of, those sort of, uh uncomfortable situations. I hate the way that this computer hacker kid types. He types with two fingers. Oh, yeah, he hunts, like, hunts and pecks. A hacker yep. wouldn't do that. But he tries to get information to solve this case. He takes photographs of televisions in order to scan them in, and we see this long process of him scanning in all the different colors to create one color photo, and then compare Terry O'Quinn's face. Yes, enhance, enhance, <laughs> comparing the two, and he's like, "Oh, this is the same person." If you took any two human faces and did that, you would come to the same conclusion. <laughs> it is ridiculous. I did forget the computer thing does come up. Remember, he comes in. Oh, he takes. We, his we, computer ta we haven't talked about the fact that he's kind of tormented him for being in the wheel. Chair. Like at yeah. one point, he picks him up and puts him to bed because he knows he can't do anything about it. And at, at this point, he takes away his computer stuff because he's not going outside and playing with the other kids. I'll never understand why you're not interested in what other kids are interested in. So the kid gets fed up and decides to take his fork to get his fingerprints and decides to enlist the help of the priest. Yeah, who by this point, up to this point, has been very like, listen. Your parents are happy. Stop trying to sabotage their relationship. I'm not going to help you do that. But the deeper and deeper it goes into it, the more, like, questioning he is. 
I think at one point he goes to confession, right? And then they have a really weird confession moment. Is there anything in your personal life that you wish to discuss? No, I'm a happy family man. Tell me where you're from, my son. St. Louis. Have you ever been married before? Of course not. Have you ever been unfaithful to your wife? Absolutely not. I don't understand this line of questioning, Father. I came to confess my sins, not to be interrogated. Um, your, your penance is one act of contrition of five Our Fathers and five Hail Marys. Go in peace, my son. Yeah, so he takes the, the fork and agrees that he'll help him get it fingerprinted, and they'll compare it. And that'll either absolve him or it'll prove Andy right. One of those two things. And is he aware of that? Because he will run the, the priest off the road. Yes, yes. Okay. I think he is very aware of it. He So he first tries to run him off the road, and there's a bunch of cars driving the other way. And I love and that nobody the reports is listening this. to classical music yeah, throughout uh-huh. this. It's really quaint. Uh, but it's a nice little moment. But yeah, there's all these cars running by, and nobody reports there's this dangerous driver on the road, apparently. And then when he finally manages to to stop him, he passes him up and then blocks the street. No more cars drive by. I didn't see any cars in the first place. Yeah, he almost go- heads on into several different trucks Uh-oh. and cars and stuff like that. And he has to swerve back. And it's like this exciting chase scene. And then when he parks his car in front of the street to prevent the priest from driving uh, through, no more cars come by. And he's able to beat his head in yes. through the window uh, and no cars come by. And he's able to sabotage the car. And no cars come by. <laughs> by. By the way, buckle up for safety. Buckle up for safety. From the first movie. Buckle up for safety. He should have gotten the model with the airbag, father. Yeah, because uh, he slams his face against the steering wheel and kills him that way. And then uh, he shoves a rag into the open gas cap, lights it on fire, and pushes the car off, and it explodes. I it's don't like, know. It just It just exploded. Up. Yeah, <laughs> it just blew up. That's it. No one really knows I say it blew up. Yeah, and that's how Father Brennan dies. And this all happens the night before Father's Day, apparently. Or a couple nights at least, because, yeah, his funeral is going to be on Father's Day. He or breaks the news to I thought they found Andy. out the news on Father's Day. No, because they're all dressed up to go to the funeral, and Keith comes out in the morning and is like, you know what today is? They're like, what the fuck? And he's like, it's Father's Day. They're like, really, Keith? <laughs> And he's like, what? Nobody's going to say happy Father's Day? He's like, we're on our way to a funeral of a man that is very close to us. What the fuck is your problem? Good morning, family. Do you know what today is? Anybody want to guess? It's Father's Day. So, happy Father's Day to me. And so they go to the funeral... Andy says some words. He was like a father to me. And that hurts Keith. And then we see the other woman come walking up. And Keith is like, I got to get out of (laughs) here. And the two women have a conversation. Christine is suspicious. And they're going to have a conversation that night. Yes, while my son is at his Cub Scout meeting, you know. On Father's Day. At 8.30 Yeah, at 8.30 at night on Father's Day. Day. Yeah, sure. Uh Uh-huh. So... Instead, that night, when she says to Keith, 
oh yeah, no, I'm going to have a conversation with this with this woman or whatever. Keith calls the other lady and is like, well, we got to see each other now. First, he's like, uh, there's some work stuff at work I got to finish up because my boss is going to be coming back and I'm behind. And then, yeah, there he calls her. She calls back to Christine and is like, sorry, got to cancel. We can talk tomorrow because my boyfriend wants to talk. And Which Christine's like, oh, into the fact that, yeah. So you would think that this night when the other woman shows up at the nursery, at the plant nursery, and Keith is going to attack her, you and Christine is going to show up at that location, and Christine has figured out what's going on as far as at least he's being unfaithful, right? That she would show up and, like, save this other woman, but she doesn't. She just sort of interrupts them. She thought, oh, I'm going to confront him for cheating on me, and just sort of shows up, and he's like, oh, shit, I got to hide the body. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's very... It was an opportunity to give Christine like some proactive agency and make her maybe a little bit more of a heroic character, but no, they she had interrupts. No interest them. in doing anything? No, that wasn't by the numbers. Yeah, I mean, either way, Andy's investigation could play out the same same way. In saving her, Christine can get hurt as well, and then Andy can save them. Like that could still happen. There's no reason why you couldn't do that. Anyway, like, you, Christine might as well have not figured any of this out, is kind of my point. But he attacks both these ladies, and he's going to throw them both into the wood chipper. Yeah, he tells the first one that she's endangering his family, even though he's the one that started the relationship in the first place. Yeah. And after he's beaten both of the women, the kid... Oh, you saw it coming, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, the kid... He's going to do it! He's going to do it! And he does and it. he walks. He walks. In the last moment, in the moment to save his mother. But what's funny is that then his mother has to save him. Well, yeah, so he, I, I forget exactly why he's doing it, but Keith climbs up a ladder to I attack somebody. I knew he get out of that chair. Well, he gets out of the chair to push him down the ladder, right? The ladder goes, I was like, oh, well, as soon as I saw the ladder, I'm like, well, Keith's going to climb up the ladder. And he's going to get out of the chair. He's going to push over the ladder. And Keith is going to fall into the wood chipper. Like, this is exactly how it's going to happen. And that is exactly how it happens. But it's I think telegraphed a he mile doesn't away. fall in at first. Something happens. No, he falls in. And then when Andy approaches, he hadn't fallen all the way in. He was still hanging on. Come to daddy. Yeah, there's so that. Sad. Yeah, uh-huh. And then she runs in. Let go of Let my go son, of my you son. Let go. Yeah, it's almost like it's not. Like, she, she's not that worked up about it. It's a weird moment. But yes, he ends up letting go. And falling into the wood chipper and getting, there's blood everywhere. And that's kind of the end of the movie. The two women are like, wow, I guess our husband slash boyfriend was a murdering psychopath. It's the end of the music video of The Boy Is Mine. Wow, is that the end? Oh, okay, yeah, because the two spurned women, like, join forces or whatever, right? Yes. They commiserate. But so, he's dead now. Like, they wrapped up the- he wasn't just caught, he is dead. He's chopped up into sludge by this wood chipper, which I don't know if it would be that easy, but we've seen wood chipper deaths before. Yes, we have. What movie have we seen it before? 
Well, I mean, famously, oh, it's in Fargo, but also Dale, Tucker, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. But even then, he falls in and it sort of gets wedged up with all with the body. So yeah, the guy is dead, but it doesn't chew up the entire body. It doesn't just go and just completely destroy the physical form. But that is the end of Stepfather. Like, there's just it's a nothing of a movie. He's more desperate, but in an embarrassing way. <laughs> They're like the the most tense moments in the movie are I'm having an affair moments, you know, and it which could have been handled in any other drama. Uh, why this has to be a horror movie, I don't know. But it is. It's just ultimately very boring. It's very boring. And cheesy. Very cheesy. And unnecessary. Completely. So that said, Kelsey, what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? Does it have a score? Well, it has only four official reviews, and only one of those four reviews is positive. But even that positive review only gives it three out of five stars. It does, however, have over 500 audience reviews. So what do you think its audience score is? 13. 23. Okay. Do you think that that is overrated or underrated? I will say the first movie had a Rotten Tomato score at the time of 88. We both gave it an 80. The second movie had a 0. You gave it a 30. I gave it a 40. And the remake had an 11. You gave it a 60. I gave it a 64. I think this is inherently worse than the remake. Yes. Question is, do you think it's better or worse than the second movie? What did I give the second one? You gave it a 30. I gave it a 40. I think it's definitely worse than the second one. I think it's worth as well, but how much worse? I'm going to give it a 15. I mean, it wasn't that bad, I wouldn't think. That's pretty harsh. It had no originality. There was no reason to make it. It was just for money, and it didn't make money because it's on TV. Well, it makes advertising revenue. Well, there you go. It was made for commercials. Yeah. I mean, I would probably give this one a 30. I think the more, like, sort of inoffensive it is, the more it gravitates towards the middle, um, or at least the upper lower half. But this one is just complete. It's a nothing burger of a movie. And... It's it's just not like there's nothing inherently wrong with it. Like it doesn't do anything incorrectly. I think while I was watching it, I was thinking I was gonna give it a 30, and then talking about it has really <laughs> diminished all my feelings about it. It's definitely the worst stepfather movie. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And really the only one worth anything is the original with Terry O'Quinn, followed by the remake. And then a distant third is part two. <laughs> and then a fourth worst movie is this one, part three, Father's Day. Yes. So that is Stepfather 3 from 1992. We're going to keep the good Father's Day times a-rolling with 2016's The Wailing, a South Korean film. Written and directed by Na Hong Jin, starring Jun Kunimura, Jung Min Hwang, Kwok Do Wan, Woo Hee Chun, Hwan Hee Kim, and Do Yoon Kim. Jun Kunimura, we're going to call him the Japanese man because it is a South Korean film and it is very important that he is Japanese. And also, he has no other name. Although, I think the credits might refer to him as The Stranger, so we might be interchangeable with that. He was Boss Tanaka in Kill Bill. He was Funaki in Ichi the Killer. Uh, and he was also the other guy at the audition in Audition. <laughs> 
Uh, he's been in a whole hell of a lot of Japanese cinema. I think especially beat Takeshi films, right? Kelsey, what is The Wailing about? A small town, I guess, in Korea uh, is pretty much attacked by an evil spirit. And a guy tries to save his daughter. Yeah. The movie is available with subs and ads on a bunch of different services, but you can rent it for 3 to $4. It is the most on Apple and Microsoft, so watch out for that. Or you can buy it for 7 to 10 It is cheapest on Apple, Amazon, Google, and YouTube. Kelsey, should people watch The Wailing? I mean... Whoa. I guess. I it's not like it's bad. It's not a bad movie. It's a good movie. It's a good yes. movie. It's just it's way too long and I didn't think it was all that interesting. <laughs> I don't disagree with you on that. And I think that might be a sort of contrarian point of view. I think this is a very, very popular Korean film. And I will tell you right now, it has a very high Rotten Tomato score. But I can see how it gets that. Like, it makes sense. Because, again, Rotten Tomatoes is just, did you like it or didn't you like it? And it's just a binary, and it's the percentage of people that had generally positive feelings about it. And I I do have generally positive feelings about this movie. It's a Yeah, don't get me wrong. It's a very good movie. It's just too long. and It's very much too long. It it yanks you around emotionally in a way that I don't find very compelling either. A lot of this you should see coming if you know, I mean, we've talked about it in the past. Korean cinema is very melodramatic. It's also very tragic most of the time. So you can kind of anticipate where this is going to go. It does some interesting things and I think it is very well made, but I don't think it's sort of necessary view. I would put this not very high on a list of Korean movies that you should see, you know, let alone foreign films in general. But it it would probably be on that list. I would say, yeah, if you're curious. But be prepared. It is very long. Yeah. It is two and a half hours long, and I don't think it deserves that length. It's half an hour too long, for sure. At least. Yeah. It should be two hours or less, for sure. Don't get us wrong. We are not the type of people that are like, oh, is it... Is it longer than two hours? Fuck this. We know if we have a friend who, if there's a movie by the two hour mark, she will be asleep. (laughs) It doesn't matter how good it is. We're not like that. We could see a movie and it's three hours long and it feels like it's worth it. Uh Right? This did not feel that way. No. So, I mean, I I guess that means we're kind of ambivalent on whether or not you see this. Mm -hmm. You could take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2016's The Wailing. Well, I suppose it was the act of purest optimism that there would be a usable trailer for this portion, but of course there is not. The Wailing, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does The Wailing begin? With a quote that I immediately was like, is this from the Bible? It sure is. It's from Luke, the Gospel of Luke. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Now, this is going to be almost directly quoted later on in the film. 
by someone who is not Jesus. This is the story of the resurrection of Jesus and his 11 disciples who saw him resurrected. And they're like, oh my God, it's a ghost. And he's like, no, it's really me. Touch my hands. There's also the 12th, which was Doubting Thomas. A lot about this movie is going to be about doubt, especially spiritual doubt, spiritual belief. So Doubting Thomas is kind of important. Doubting Thomas was the guy that would not believe it was actually Jesus because he wasn't there. Until he touched Until it. he touched his wounds and stuck his hand in his side and shit like that. Yeah. And Jesus was like, all right, dog, go right ahead. And then he's like, oh, shit, it really is you. <laughs> I don't know. I've read that if you, wanna ma- if, if you want this movie to make sense, you have to see it multiple times. Well, I think also it makes sense in multiple different directions, and those are different directions that are contradictory. I will say one of the good things that may be interpreted as a bad thing as well is that there is a lot to chew on here. And there might be so much to chew on that it's an unsatisfying meal. There's nothing to actually swallow. Yeah, there. I could not... Gra- I mean, like, I have an idea of what they're trying to say, but sure. I feel like I'm wrong. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh-huh. I feel like there's so many things going on here that, like, what I saw must be surface level. Right. And, like, there are twists on twists, and we'll talk about those twists a little bit later, but it's like, ahaha, you did not believe, or you believed too strongly? And then it was twisted on its head. Ha ha ha. And then you believe that. And that was twisted on its head. And it's like, okay, so what is it you want me to take away from this? Yeah, ultimately, I don't understand. Who the was I supposed to believe and why? To this, to this particular quote. Yes. And I'm like, I feel I like you're trying to make it like there's a just, clear thing no. I'm trying to say here. I think it's, it's just not. supposed to be spooky. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. So our main character, John Goo. He is a cop and kind of like a bumbling cop. Well, we see him first. I think it's him. I don't know. We didn't we weren't introduced to him yet. There is a man on the edge of a river and he is putting a worm onto two hooks. Oh. He's going fishing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Big symbolism. Yeah, there is a lot of symbolism when it comes to fish, not only with Jesus, but also with an explanation that we get as to why bad things happen to people. Yes. But so he, this cop is told that he needs to go to help because the wife of the jings, ginseng farmer has died. But we also are introduced to his family in this scene. Yeah, in particular, Hyojin, his daughter. Yes. He also has a wife and his mother. I and think, his mother, lives with yeah. Him. Uh-huh. Or but, his mother-in-law. It's unimportant. But yeah, they're, they're pretty unimportant. When he finds the wife, uh, she has been stabbed several times by this guy who everybody knows. Yes. And he's just kind of sitting there in a fugue state. Right. And he's covered in like boils and his eyes are milky white. Oh, right. The boils. Yeah. yeah. uh And uh, they're like, was it drugs? It's like, what is going on? Why would this guy do this? He didn't. He killed more than just this woman. It was like a family. Oh. Originally, he was reporting to the scene where a woman had died, but everyone there had died. And the cop will notice some plants. Yeah, he sees a pig roaming free, and there's some, like, spore plant things growing. Which is is the implication that she tries to help everyone, and everyone ignores her? Maybe. Yeah, are these the dead flowers? I don't know, I didn't compare the two, but... That's what I thought. I thought it was the same flowers. It looked like they were something that was going to send out spores like this is going to be like a last of us sort of thing where zombies are created by spore infestations 
Well, that doesn't happen. <laughs> so he's investigating that. In the meantime, a guy. <laughs> a hunter, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, is that what he is? He's, he's a, a hunter. hunter. He's the hunter that tells them the story later. We're seeing yes. it happen to him now. Yes, yeah, I know uh-huh. he's going to tell the story later, but I was just, I was always unclear. I was just like, who are you? He hunts deer and then sells venison in his shop. Got it. Okay, so he's out hunting. He falls and like hits his head. Uh-huh. When he wakes up, he sees a naked man in a diaper eating what I guess is a deer. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And when this man turns and looks at him, he will have really creepy red snake eyes. Yeah, and then he'll turn back, the dude's gone, and then he tries to get away, and then the dude comes up over a rock and reaches out, and that's where this vision ends. Now, this man is a Japanese man. It's a little bit important that he's Japanese. This is Jun Kunimura. Because it makes him an outsider. But in particular, there is a lot of Japanese animosity in Korea. Oh, okay. There was a survey done in 2013 that said outside of mainland China, there is the most animosity for Japan in the entire world in Korea. This is because leading up to World War II, so in the early 1900s, Japan sort of annexed, not sort of, they did, they annexed the whole of Korea, what we now know as North and South Korea. Well, they were, like, at the time, providing a lot of support to the country, and they were effectively ruling the country, they officially annexed it. And that led up to World War II. Both the United States and the Soviet Union sort of occupied Korea, And so when World War II ended, they were forced to, as part of their surrender, give up Korea. And one half of Korea, where the Soviet Union occupied, was its own country, and that was North Korea. And the other half of Korea that America occupied was South Korea. And this is what will lead to the Korean War eventually. But yes, surveys have been done over the years, and... In 2005, 89% of South Koreans polled said that you cannot trust Japan. In 2013, 67% view Japan's influence on Korea as negative, and only 21% have a positive view of Japan. So, the second most hatred for the country of Japan is in Korea. And so there's a lot of animosity towards Japan. So there's this Japanese stranger coming in. It's like all those anti-immigration arguments here in America. Well, that's really sad. Yeah. So it is important that this guy is Japanese insofar as not only is he a stranger, but he is a stranger that's not to be trusted. And that's a really bad. Yeah, it's fucked up because by the end of the movie, he is in fact a demon. Yes. That's bad. <laughs> that's really bad. So when they get the toxicology report back about the guy who murdered that family, remember they had thought, is he on drugs? They did the toxicology report, and they found that his blood was filled with poisonous mushrooms. But when the guy's like, that must be it. The other guy's like, uh, did you ever do that as a kid? Because they don't really work that way. (laughs) Uh, Which I thought was interesting. I, you know, I don't know a ton about Korea, but I thought it was interesting that they would even talk about doing drugs as as like a thing that kids do. I mean, there are a lot of Asian countries that are just... 100% drugs, bad, and supremely illegal. Yes. Yeah. uh That's what what the American understanding of Asian countries is. But that was an interesting thing to hear that. Yeah. But also, does that never come back up? Just, he just happened 
to be doing the drugs? Or is that what happens when the demon influences you? Yeah, it might just be a false positive or whatever. The fact that he was on mushrooms didn't really matter. It might. Oh, you know what? They maybe it is. Is that the is that the um, the tonic? Oh yeah, maybe because they do talk about how like they think the tonic. They think the tonic is responsible for it. Yeah, so maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Again, you'd have to watch this more than once. And I'm sorry, folks. I'm. I'm. We're gonna have to watch it when we edit this episode. But. And that usually does clear up things. It does. So if if we clear anything up, we'll put it in Twitter. We won't really be watching this movie a second time. We're not going to be grabbing any clips. Yeah, Uh we'll get pictures and stuff. So yeah, but anyway, the power goes out. Yes, and so well, first I want to talk about this partner. This partner is Osung Bak, and he's going to be important for two things. He's going to introduce us to another character, but he's also John Gu's partner in crime, almost literally partner in police. <laughs> yes. And they work together and they have all these conversations together and they're going to be proceeding together as uh, John Gu starts investigating. But yes, the power goes out and what happens? A naked lady shows up and yep. scares the shit out of these cops, uh-huh. which I thought was funny. I get it. It's weird. It is creepy. It's spooky. But it's just a naked lady and there's like two cops in there with, yeah, you know, uh-huh. batons and stuff. I know they don't really carry guns, but they have access to them, I assume. Yeah. Then there's a fire. It's like nothing comes of that. She disappears. He wakes up screaming, stop it, you dirty whore. <laughs> and he's yelling this right in front of, uh, I think it's his mom and his and daughter his da- in the Yeah, uh-huh. they just kind of look at him. <laughs> So, like, this will happen to him a couple of times, and I think that that's supposed to imply that he's already being influenced, right? Yeah, he's having bad dreams, man. But they are not really bad dreams. They're really happening. They're negative influences. But he can yeah. tell himself uh, they're dreams because he wakes up from them awkwardly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which I wish I wish movies would explain that shit better, because it's uh-huh. like, what, what what really happened? What didn't really happen? How did he get home? Why this did he is not a movie. getting This home? isn't that movie. As, as many answers as you get by the end of this movie, it is not a movie where it's just going to give you all the answers. So much stuff is up for interpretation. So yes, you might be able to point to evidence of one thing being true, or somebody might comment on this episode saying, well, you guys missed that this happened. It's like, well, yeah, but I bet you there are things that we could comment in kind that completely contradicts what you're saying. So like, I don't, I don't know that there's a lot of solid answers you could take away. I don't think you can necessarily say that anything he dreams actually did happen. I think it's implied. Well, because he, he both times... He confirms that they happen. He confirms that that woman showed up because he talks to his partner The partner, partner about it. knows that, it, that she showed the up. The other yes. time is when he sees the demon, but he convinces himself it must have been a dream because that would mean that he, that he would have to accept that that's a demon. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then later we find out that he was right. So that's what I'm saying. Well, yeah. No, how do we find out that he was right, though? We find out that he was right because another shamanistic person is like, no, that's really what no, happened. because the priest sees him. Yes. No, totally. But... He sees him at a particular point coming up here, and then he wakes up from a dream, and he's like, oh, it's just a dream. And then this weird woman, who also has superpowers, is like, no, you saw him, didn't you? And that's how he gets confirmation that it, quote-unquote, really happened. But how do we know that she's talking about saw him literally in front of you? Why not? Why wouldn't she be saying well, saw him in your mind? What we see with the but priest. she's also super uh, spiritual. But the and priest sees him turn into Totally. The I think that that is true to an extent, but that doesn't mean that 
Jong-gu physically saw him physically present at that exact time, or he just saw him in his mind. We don't know. I don't think the fact that some other person saw him in some other place, lots of people saw him in lots of places. It doesn't mean that Jong-gu can't dream about him. This is my point. My point is, is you are not going to get solid answers out of this movie. You're just not. It's not interested in that. I also thought it was really interesting. Again, I don't know enough about Korea, but the fact that it showed them having sex and it showed them cleaning up afterwards, like I thought that yeah, was, uh-huh. whoa, like we 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 shy away from that uh-huh. in America. So but there's also like not a lot of privacy because they oh, have to go and do it in the car. Uh huh. So funny. So funny. It's kind of dumb, but he takes his daughter to the store and she buys herself a little barrette, and that's going to become important because it's going to symbolize her later. It's kind of a pointless scene except for that. So it yeah, just felt uh-huh. really wedged in. But it was but, a cute you know, moment. It's, it's relationship building because the relationship between Jong-gu and Hyojin is going to be very important. Yes. He loves his daughter. Yes. Very, very much. It's Father's Day, everybody. So there's a fire that he goes to. He shows up at and he gets attacked by another person, some rabid person. and Two crazy ladies. And one of them is the one who showed up yes, earlier. Uh, the naked woman from earlier. And there's a there's a person hanging from a tree the next morning, right? And I think it's the lady. She was the suspect in the burning of the house the night before. Three people were dead in that fire, but they were all stabbed. They weren't burnt to death. They were all stabbed. So they were attacked. And then the house was set on fire. And their only suspect just hung herself from a tree outside the house. So he's there, him and his partner are stationed there to watch the scene. And this is where the lady shows up and just tosses stones at him. Which is pretty funny. Yeah. Weird, awkward, random, but funny. Yes. They do find out later that this woman claimed to have been attacked and raped by the Japanese stranger. So not this not this woman throwing the rocks, but the woman who killed herself. Yes. So that's going to be important as well. But I, I don't know who tells them that, whether that's this woman or what. Somebody at like a shop they go to tells them that. Listen, there's a lot of stuff that happens in this movie. This woman, the movie calls Mumyong, but she's never given a name. Mumyong means woman without a name. You may also call her the mysterious woman. She tells him that the Japanese man in the forest is the person who actually did it. He's the culprit. He's the one you want. Uh, She also tells him that the old woman got a shaman to do a ritual, perhaps an exorcism, but the woman refused and that that's why they all died and that the Japanese man was going to suck her blood dry. And if you keep seeing him around, it's because he's stalking you and he wants to suck your blood dry. Jong-gu is like, Oh, shit. I better call my partner, who I sent to the coroner to get the coroner's report. No, he sent to him to the... Well, he also told him to go to the local dermatologist to find oh, out the, about that the doctor. rash That's the what boils. it is. You're right. Yeah, because there were the boils. And so he goes out to call him, and the woman's gone. When he's like, I got a witness. And the woman's just gone then. This is when he sees the Japanese man, but with the red eyes, the scary version of the Japanese man. The villainized version. Also eating a deer, and then he chases him, and then he falls, he gets attacked, and then he wakes up, it's just a nightmare. Exactly. Or is it? This is what we're talking about. I'm pretty sure it's not, but... I think you might be right, but I think the movie's not 
concrete about it intentionally. When she when he wakes up, his wife is like, what sins did you have to commit to have such terrible dreams? Yeah, that's going to be important. That's kind of. They the kind of imply that it's all his fault because he committed some sin, which they're never going to tell you what it is. No, no, no. They they have a whole conversation about how he didn't commit any sins. Nobody said anybody committed any sins. When a fisherman catches a fish, what fish, what sins did that fish commit? They have a whole conversation about that. He didn't actually have to commit any sins. She accuses him of doing stuff. But again... The movie has two arguments, and they're directly contradictory, and it doesn't land on one side or the other. I could have sworn at some point somebody tells him, not his wife. I thought it might have been the woman. It is the woman. I know what you're talking about. I thought that she told him, you committed a sin. But that doesn't make any sense, because that would mean that every single person in this uh, town committed a sin, because they're all dying. Right. That's that's kind of the point, because when she says, you thought it was a person, you accused somebody without knowing, and you attacked them, that is your sin. He goes, that's bullshit, she was sick before that ever happened. So the one time they say, yes, you did commit a sin, and that is why you are being punished, number one... He wasn't wrong. That that guy is the one who did it. And number two, that happened after his daughter got sick. So that can't be the reason his daughter got sick. So like, you know what I'm saying? It's very nebulous. I don't think that the sin has anything to do with it, but they keep fucking bringing it up and trying to explain it. And there isn't one. There isn't an explanation. He is a fisherman fishing. Hence that scene in the very beginning when a worm is put on a hook. Yes. So the daughter becomes very sick. And it's also important that his partner has been telling him some stories he's been hearing about the Japanese man, which is also very strange because later in the film, he's going to scoff at those stories and be like, I was just trying to freak you out. And it's like, in the moment, you seemed pretty yeah, uh-huh. sincere about it. And that's, yeah, this movie kind of goes back and forth. It flip flops and yeah, also with the mushrooms. difficult to follow. His partner is like. You know, oh, maybe it was the mushrooms. And he's like, have you ever seen mushrooms do that? And then later on, when he changes his mind, he's like, oh, yeah, no, maybe it wasn't the mushrooms. The partner's like, no, I was just fucking with you, man. Like, about that, too. So it's like, the movie keeps doing that. And I think that's all intentional. It keeps setting you up, convincing you that something is the case, and then completely flipping it on its head. And that's what the movie's objective is. It's trying to do that to you. Right. But the problem with that is, is that it just makes a lot of things not make any sense. It, well, yeah, exactly. So they, they talk to the hunter who tells them the story, right? About who, Yeah, he, he will end up taking them out to where he thinks this Japanese man lives in the middle of, of the, the forest. At least where he found the carcass first. And when they get too close, the guy gets kind of scared. And he's like, I'm going back. And they, they kind of taunt him for it or something. And he says... Because it started to rain, he says, uh-huh. fine, you deserve to get struck by lightning. How about that? And as he's walking away, he literally gets struck by <laughs> lightning. And I gotta say, it was really funny. It, it was. It was. He's struck by the lightning and they're forced to take him to the hospital. And they're just standing there, covered in water and grime. And just like with no explanation, we're sorry to his wife. <laughs> you know, he's on life support or whatever. He might die because he was struck by lightning. 
So they decide to go to dinner, and while at dinner, the cop is going to notice that just random people seem to have these boils all around him. Yeah. While they're at the hospital, they do see the original killer. Who, who has a really up, gnarly death. Yeah, he ends up seizing, his bones break, he spits up blood into his oxygen mask, and then he dies. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's pre- it's gruesome. But yes, they go to they go to dinner, they have a conversation about all of this, and yeah, he sees there's this woman, and she's got some boils on her neck. Hyojin starts spasming in her sleep. And yet when she wakes up, she seems fine, but suddenly she's ravenous. I wrote down ravenous too. And yeah, uh-huh. they had already made the point earlier that she doesn't eat much, and that and then he specifically says she never eats fish. Yeah. She begs her dad to do something when she's crying and screaming and spasming in the night. And yeah, in the morning she's perfectly fine and starving and just devouring all the fish that they have. And the grandma's like, I heard you guys last night. There's something wrong. We need to talk to this shaman. That's going around. He'll be able to help us. And meanwhile, his partner feels the same way, but he's bringing in a priest. Yeah. So, so that John was Gu, an interesting thing, too. Right. There's the sort of shamanistic end of it. And then there's the Christian end of it. And I thought it was odd that they made the Christian end of it more correct. Yeah. Odd choices. Yeah. Thing. I, I just don't know enough about The Korea. shamanism is bad. Yeah. Like explicitly bad in this and not necessarily shamanism itself but the representatives of shamanism are wrong they are deceived or they are deceivers yes and so either yeah they've either been deceived or they are exploiting you one of the two and there's really no way to tell however i have read that there was a second ending a deleted ending i yeah i have two and i will talk about that well but i think that confirms that he is a deceiver. Oh, he for sure. is manipulating the, sham- and the shaman. Yeah, he absolutely is. He is a villain for sure. You think that that this version, the version we saw, shows that? No, I think the version. We well, see, no, I think this version we saw heavily implies it. I think it's implied, but I also think it could very easily go either way. That he just didn't know any better. Yeah, maybe, but he shows up. I mean, spoilers for the end of the movie, but he shows up and John Goo is dying and he does nothing to help him. He just takes his picture. Oh, you're right. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Now, the deleted ending is more explicit that he's actually working with the demon. Mm-hmm. But this, I think, the movie we got still is pretty clear of all things that they're totally not clear about. This one they are clear of that he's a villain. Yeah. Well, when they end up going to the guy's house, well, well, we'll have to talk about that because the first time he does his whole shaman thing, he nearly kills the Japanese man. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. So, I mean, that's all for a long time. It, yeah, but but there there might be other interpretations of it. The mom says she's going to consult the shaman, and Jonggu says it's okay. And then Osung oh Bak brings his nephew. Yang Isam, and Isam means 2-3. So he's like, really? That's your name? Your name's 2-3? And so I might just call him 2-3 throughout the rest of this. 2-3 is a Japanese-speaking deacon, and that's why they're bringing him. Not because he's a deacon, but because he speaks Japanese. And that's the only way they're going to get to talk to this Japanese stranger. So they go out to the house with uh, 2-3, and the Japanese stranger isn't there. They break into his house, despite 2-3's protestations. Osung Bak finds a bunch of photos and other such things. Of, of the people who have died. Yeah, and belongings, and will find one of Hyojin's shoes. And 
Jong-gu, our main character, he breaks into another room and he finds like an altar and all this weird fucking shit. But he's going to hear that the guy outside is being attacked by a dog. So he's going to go help him do that. Yeah. But the other guy, the the partner, is just in shock. Yeah. And like cannot believe what he's seeing. He can't process this. Because it's so obvious that this guy is obviously hurting these people. Uh-huh. Unless... You believe the shaman later when he says, well, that guy was just trying to help you. Yeah. Uh-huh. He was he was obviously a shaman as well. But it's like, if he was, why would he have burned all those photos? You can see why doubt and denial are two aspects of this movie, two themes of this movie. They're very strongly woven throughout. I and mean, we've already talked about leading up to the Doubting Thomas uh, we're also going to talk about the denial of Peter Let's not a little bit later. confuse things. There's no theme about denial. You want to know why there's no theme about denial? Why is there no theme? Because it has nothing to say about it? There's nothing to say about yeah, it. Yeah, it just displays It's a it. subject. It's a subject. You know what? That's fair. You know what, Kelsey? That's fair. Like, for instance, <laughs> this is not to get into this deep argument, but... I'm one of those people, and I might divide our listenership here. Kelsey doesn't totally agree with me either. I like The Last Jedi. I think it's great. Why do they go to this planet? They don't even succeed. Nobody succeeds. And it's like, well, yeah, because failure is the theme of the movie. They fail so that they can learn something. That's the theme. It has something to say about failure and it needs to demonstrate failure so yes you're gonna have to fucking suck it up you little baby and deal with the fact that the main characters in your little kitty franchise are gonna get things wrong sometimes boo fucking who like that's my response to people that don't like the last jedi specifically because they fail it's a uh, weird thing not like a movie about they mm, no people hate a lot about The Last Jedi for a lot of really wonky reasons. I don't like you, but it's not for that reason. <laughs> but anyway, my point is, is that it had something to say about failure. So that is a theme, right? It's not just a subject. It's a theme. In this, to Kelsey's point, who teaches literature, <laughs> it displays a lot about doubt and denial, but it doesn't have any conclusions about those things. It doesn't have anything to explicitly say other than, wow, there sure is a lot of shit that you can't trust in the world, but it doesn't have anything to say about that. So I think that's an interesting point, Kelsey, that it's not a theme. It's a subject. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. That's how I feel. Yeah, and I can understand why that might drive you crazy. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, the 2-3 the is getting attacked by the dog that's chained up there, and it gets out. Yeah, the dog ends up getting loose, but in that moment, right when the dog's about to attack, the owner shows up. Yeah, and the dog stops, and he kind of doesn't say anything. He just walks in and then, like, looks at them and says nothing, and then cut to, they've left. Yes, which I thought was odd. I was like, why didn't you arrest him based on the fact that he had pictures of all of the people who had died? Uh Uh-huh. That was weird. Why didn't Osungbak show him the shoe there while the Japanese man was there? Because he was in such a state of shock. Uh-huh. Yeah, he doesn't say it until the drive home. When uh, Jong-gu will show it to his daughter, she's dismissive. 
Yeah, this is when the movie kind of becomes The Exorcist. Yes. She's going to start, like, cursing and screaming. Uh and First, she'll deny it's her shoe. She will admit that she talked to the man, but she'll deny it's her shoe. And he's like, it has your fucking name written on the inside. This is your shoe. And then she just screams at him. You don't even know what's going on. You don't know anything. And then just, like, screams and cusses at him. He then finds her journal, which is very much like the ring, and it slowly becomes more and more deranged. Yeah. And then he finds a rash on her body, but he has to lift up her nightgown to see it. She accuses him when she wakes up of being a pervert, screams and cusses at him more. And then everyone's awake, and they're trying to comfort her, and he's trying to keep his distance from and her because she's freaking out. she will not stop screaming. And she says she will kill them all. Yes, I'm going to kill all of you. So the grandma's like, we need to get that shaman Right away. (laughs) (laughs) But so they go back to talk to the Japanese man with the priest again. So it's just Jong-gu and the priest at this point. And translates telling him to leave. But the guy just refuses to answer. So he starts destroying his home. They ask why he's there. And he says, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. Yes. And ends up killing the dog. Yeah. So he he starts destroying the home. And the Japanese man is stoic and silent and doesn't react and then his dog attacks Jong-gu, and they get into a fight where we can't see. And then we hear the dog whine, and then we hear him whine some more, and we hear beats more. So at first, you could say, well, he's being attacked in its self-defense, despite the fact that, you know, the dog's protecting his property. But Jong-gu is protecting himself from this dog, but, like, from the sounds we hear, he is so... He's lost it at this point, how desperate he is. That he just keeps wailing on this dog until he kills the dog. Even though we don't see it. We hear it. And he tells him, you have three days to get out of here. You'll end up just like your dog. Yeah. And the Japanese man is unmoved 100%. And the next thing we see is there is a dead goat hanging outside of John Boo's home. Uh And it's just like, you fucked with the wrong (laughs) man. They do take Hyojin to the doctor and the doctor's like, man, I don't know what's wrong. And they're totally ineffectual. So, yes, they find the goat. No, they end up taking somebody else to the doctor because they leave their daughter with the neighbor. Well, that happens separately. What? That happens separately. Yes, they go somewhere because some emergency happens. I don't remember what happens, but they leave Hyojin with their neighbor. And when they come back, because he's like, wait a minute, where'd you leave our daughter? And they're like, oh, with the neighbor. And he's like, how do Ah, we got to get home. And he goes home. Sure enough, she stabbed the neighbor. And is kind of freaking out about it. Again, very much like oh, the exorcist. Oh, woke up paralyzed. And they take him to the acupuncturist. Oh, yeah. That's what fall. happens. Yeah. But she's kind of freaking out about it. And it's very much like... She looks scared. Yeah. It's very much like the exorcist or stranger things in that, like, when they get taken over, they do these things. And they kind of know that they're aware of them because they're kind of... Their personality is still kind of there. But then the spirit will leave them yeah. and they have to just deal with what they've done. We also hear that the partner has started feeling sick and uh, has been sick since they met with the Japanese man. Yeah, he also says that he's seeing things and he's really worried. He's like, we have to do something about this guy or he's going to get to us first. Yeah. Uh huh. And this is when the shaman shows up. Ilguang. Yes. And the shaman seems legit because he immediately is like, what's in that container? Yes. And they find a dead bird in there. But it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Couldn't he have put he it in He totally could have planted it. This is all a performance, I think. But he 
ultimately tries to do Oh yeah, he's an exorcism. the one. He's the one that says you disturbed the evil one. Yes. You're the reason this happened. It's like that doesn't make any sense because all these other people were dying before this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you fucked with the guy and now your daughter is sick. And he tells him that's no man, that's a ghost. Yes. Yeah, so the shaman is saying that the Japanese man is evil. And he says we either have to banish it or we have to kill it. And we got to do it in the... (laughs) Okay, so he does an exorcism first, right? And the exorcism fails. It doesn't work. Well, because he stops it, doesn't he? No, that's later. That's the uh, the hex. He says he needs to prepare a death hex ritual during the hour of the dog tomorrow, which according to the Zodiac is between seven and nine. And he tells John Goose specifically that he must not be interrupted and that it will cost him 10,000. And I looked this up and 10,000 won currently is less than eight bucks. Kelsey put forth, well, maybe in the translation, they already did the conversion for you. And he has to come up with the equivalent of $10,000. That's the best I can understand because I don't know literally what it is that they said. And when he asks him, why my daughter? What sin did she commit? He says, When you go fishing, do you know what you'll catch? He is just fishing. Even he doesn't know what he'll catch. He's fishing, and she took the bait. That's it. Nobody's sin is responsible. He's just trying to fuck with people. I think this is something the movie is saying. I think this holds up throughout all the weird contradictions in the movie. I think this does hold up. Well, if you believe in this stuff, I assume that's what the devil does. Right, yeah. uh (laughs) For sure. So, yes, he he goes to perform this death hex ritual at the same time. And this is why I'm like, I don't know that necessarily Il Guang is actually hurting. The movie does things, again, uncertainty, right? The movie does things with the editing where it overlaps scenes and it intercuts things that aren't actually happening that way. There's going to be a scene later where the Japanese man is being chased by the mysterious woman. And all we see is them individually... Only on screen, individually, they're not on screen at the same time. We have no idea who is chasing who. It's just cut in between them running through the forest. And the implication is that the Japanese man is being chased, because that's what the movie wants you to think in that moment. But we don't know for certain. Maybe he's chasing her. We don't know if that's the case. So, again, we're getting these interlaced scenes that, through the Kuleshov effect, is trying to imply cause and effect, right? Or one thing following another. That's not necessarily the case because it looks like the Japanese man is performing a ritual of his own. Looks like he might be trying to possess people. Potentially. So him struggling and being hurt might have fucking nothing to do with this death hex ritual that Il Guang is performing. So for me, uh-huh. that just equal it, that just equates that the movie is just fucking lying to you. Yes, it is, and it's not the same as a twist. I'm because, not saying necessarily that it's a twist. But right. Go ahead. Sorry. Because when this stuff happens, like say in Silence of the Lambs, that twist. Oh yes, uh-huh, where they go to the wrong door. Yeah. Right uh-huh. in that moment, and it's supposed to be like, oh, you know. Yeah. But that doesn't happen in this movie. Right. It, it lets you just... walk away with a conclusion, and it's totally content with you walking away with a wrong conclusion. Exactly. Yes. Uh-huh. I don't like that. I totally understand that. During the ritual, Hyojin begs for it to stop. And Kelsey, we had a conversation about this, right? What did we conclude? 
that should be telling us that he's doing the right thing. Or she's lying, in which case she's not hurting at all, right? Like, those are the two conclusions, so let it continue. Exactly, yes. Because if you believe in this stuff, you have no reason to think that he could actually be harming her. He's not touching her. That was our conversation in the moment when it happened. Then you find out, no, he's a villain. What he's doing might be only designed to hurt her. As far as we know. Again, doubt, denial, uncertainty. Who's Park? Because I wrote down that was a really gruesome scene with Park. So yeah, there's Park Chunbei is a village man who attacked somebody or went missing. This is why I think that the Japanese man is performing his own ritual and and so when he's hurting and crawling across the floor and everything, I think that's involved with him possessing Park Chun-bei. Because he will find him later us, in a truck. But they show later him with the picture of Park in front of him, obviously. Or is that the little girl? I can't remember. But they show him obviously bringing that guy back to life. Yes, that comes later, yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. So that can't be the same scene. It's not the same scene. So what are you talking about? I'm just saying that he is nefariously involved with Park Chun-bei. But again, at the time, you're, this is around the time when you're starting to be like, is the Japanese man the villain? Or is it one of those things where he's just actually following the danger and he's trying to protect people, but because he's so weird and he's a stranger, people doubt him and they start attacking him. And that's going to be their downfall because they attack him. And the movie starts starts to go down that path before it takes another U-turn, swerves on you again. So, I don't know. I can't tell you for certain. So, anyway, yes. 2-3 and Jong-Gu confer with 2-3's priest. And that man says, to trust the doctors, there's nothing you can do. Oh, thanks, Catholicism. Big help. So, the cop and some villagers decide to go and mess with the Japanese man, yes? Yes. They all get together. They talk about what to do, what could possibly be going on. And jong is like, let's go! And they all get in a big pickup truck like a lynch mob. And they drive out to the Japanese man's house in the woods. At the same time, though, the Japanese man isn't there. He's gallivanting out in the woods somewhere. And he comes across... Park Chun-bei's pickup truck, where we saw him before during the death hex ritual thing, and the dude's gone, and he seems worried. Again, mounting evidence that maybe the Japanese man isn't a villain. He seems worried that this man who might have been infected is now up and moving around. I guess you're right. He does seem a little worried. And if he intended on that happening, wouldn't he be happy? Exactly. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. The movies jerk you around intentionally. Yeah, and no one's there to see him He's not faking it for anything. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. So we don't know that he's possessing him until later, because isn't it clear, confirmed at one point, that he is the one who possessed Park? Insofar as he's the one that's causing all of these possessions. Okay. So while they're searching through his house, uh, they do find that picture. Again, he collects pictures of these people pre-violence and objects from them, like Hugh Jin's shoe, right? And uh, 
they find that picture and they're like, oh, fuck. Because remember, he supposedly burned everything the last time they came. That's why Jonggu fucked everything up. Now there's new evidence that, oh, he's back at it again. And they get really upset. But then here comes Park Chun Bay. He shows up. He is now, a, you know, this movie's version of a zombie. Right? Because, I mean, this is the first time we ever actually see them perpetrating the violent offenses, right? Mm-hmm. Before it, it all happens off screen. And it will continue to happen off screen. Uh, this is the only time where we actually have an interaction with this zombie-like character. He fucks up 2-3. He, like, bites him and shit. He, like, really messes him up. Uh, yeah, it and was, they're all fighting him. It was a, a pretty, yeah, a detailed, gory scene. You get some good violence, and it, like if you were looking for a good, like you know, zombie fight scene that you were not expecting in this movie, you get it. <laughs> it's not just like the violent aggression of a mad, you know, somebody's infected with a toxic mushroom and they go on a killing spree thing. This is a biting zombie that doesn't respond to physical harm. <laughs> well, meanwhile, the Japanese man has been watching this from afar. He is, yeah. And they're going to... Again, seemingly worried. Well... He has kind of a look on his face like... Well, he oh, acts like God. he's in pain, which I thought was because he was possessing Park. There you go. There's your explanation. And they're causing him to feel pain. There's your explanation. For what? For why he seems like he's worried or upset by something... But earlier he didn't know that they were being attacked. You are correct. He was being attacked. He wasn't being attacked at that point, I don't think. Well, anyway, like they they're like, make sure he's dead, but instead of making sure that he's dead, they just throw him off the cliff. And it's like, well, if you truly believe that's the devil, that was a pretty dumb thing to do. Well, okay, so you're skipping ahead a little bit. They they fuck up Park Chun Bay like real bad. He gets a pitchfork in his head, he hits him over the head with a shovel, and then they find the Japanese man and they chase after him and they are running through the forest and everything until they get to a cliff and the Japanese man's not there. Jong-gu is freaking out. Uh, He's losing his mind. How is he going to protect his daughter? And then we see hanging over the cliff's edge is the Japanese man. And he tries to lower himself down. Somebody almost sees him, but he manages to hide. But you know who does see him, Kelsey? Is the mysterious woman mm. who's also in the forest. Yes, she is watching as well. And so they're like, God, we got to get out of here. They leave on their truck. It's like starting to rain. They almost get into an accident. Meanwhile, there's that running through the woods scene where we see the man, then we see the woman, and they're running through the woods in the same direction. And it is he chasing after her? Is she chasing after him? We don't know. Until ultimately, as they're driving by underneath one of these cliffs, slam, Japanese man's body lands right on their hood. Yes. Implying that she was trying to kill him. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. That she was chasing him and not the other way around. Which is fine. I think narratively either way works. So they pull a I Know What You Did Last Summer. And they carry him across the street and toss him off the cliff. Without making sure that he's dead. (laughs) And uh, the mysterious woman is watching from the cliff where the the, the stranger fell. And when Jong-gu gets home, Hyojin seems like she's fine. Doing better. 
Okay, well, so we killed the Japanese man, and she's doing just fine. Great. The, we see this shaman say the rat fell into the trap. And he's happy about it. Yeah. And I think we're supposed to think that he's talking about the Japanese man. But he is not. Yeah. And he says it to no one in particular. He's sort of in the rain. Yes. <laughs> yes. He is certainly talking about the cop. Yes. Ultimately, we will find out that that's the case. He's talking about John Goo. Meanwhile, 2-3 goes to the hospital because he got fucked up. Uh, but he is eventually told he has to go home. And when he gets home, he finds out that his uncle, Oh Sung Bak, has killed his family. I don't remember that. John Goo's partner. I don't remember that. Remember when he said ever since they saw the Japanese man, he started hallucinating and seeing things and stuff like that? So he was also... Infected like Hyojin was. Oh my god. Yeah, uh-huh. So he just gets home and he's just staring at his uncle who's just sort of like slumped against the wall there. The cops mention that he must have taken the tonic and there's news reports. It feels like the story's wrapping up at this point, right? And oh, they figured out what it is. The news has their own narrative, but we know the truth. The Japanese man was causing all of it, so when he died, you know... It all stopped. But did it stop is the question. It has not stopped. Uh-huh. And we'll see that really quickly because the shaman <laughs> is going to be like, do-do-do, walking by, and he sees the lady, and he's like, oh, no, and he vomits up a whole bunch of blood. It, graphically, like, that was either really good CG or... He had something in his mouth. He had something in his mouth. And, you know, they, maybe they feed a tube into his mouth and then it sprays in his mouth and it all comes out like real vomit. But it was like real vomit. You know, when you projectile vomit, it coats the inside of your mouth and it creates like this, you know, like you're surfing a wave like a, like a tube <laughs> where it's coming out of all sides of your mouth and it's empty on the inside, you know, like that. <laughs> but it's all blood. And it is a lot so it's not just something he could have just had in his mouth and then spit up. There's, they're obviously either feeding it through or it's CG somehow, but I, I think it was just really good special effects is what it was. It looked, yes, it looked very real. And then he's like, she tells him to get out and he's driving and he thinks he's being attacked by all these moths. Yeah, who keep hitting his windshield. But then they're not there. Yeah. And he's been calling John Goo, but John Goo's been asleep. And I think... Does he have, like, a really nice night's sleep this night? Does he not wake up screaming this time? I don't remember. I don't I remember. think that might be the case, though. So, but when he wakes up, he goes to where the shaman was, I assume because he had voicemails, uh, and he's not there. Meanwhile, the shaman goes to his room, and he tries to do a ritual, and then, like, a crow flies in and scares him. That's when he goes and he gets, he tries to flee the city, and that's when the bug thing happens. And he Which finally gets a hold of Jung Goo. It's so weird because it's like, if her goal was to get him out of the, of the place, then she succeeded. Right. Then what was the point of the moths that stopped him from leaving? It was weird. I guess either way, if he left or not, it wouldn't have done much because either way, he's going to get a hold of Jung Goo. Well, but he wouldn't have stopped to make that phone call, right? I assume he would have kept trying to call him, because he called him several times, over and over and over again, like repeatedly. But anyway, what he says to him is, John Goo, you're not home right now. You need to go home. You need to get your daughter. 
He says, I misread the divination. It wasn't the man. I made a grave mistake. I made a terrible, terrible mistake. It was the woman. And then he says, I'll be driving back there. And John Goo says, I know the woman that you're talking about. I know who you're talking about. I saw her too. And he goes back home and Hyojin is gone. She's not there. Meanwhile, for the rest of the movie, we're going to be intercutting scenes with Jong-gu looking for his daughter and running into the mysterious woman. And 2-3 investigating. Mm Because he's like, this is not over. My uncle still was on a murderous rampage. So just because Hyojin was fine, something's up. Something's strange. And I'm going to find out what it is. And he goes back to the Japanese man's house. So these are two things that are sort of going to happen at the same time. Constantly intercut. It's going to be hard to keep track of where they cut. It doesn't really matter. You just need to know that they're overlapping. Mm-hmm. So, Jong-gu meets the mystery woman in the streets. And she tells him, Hyojin just got home. But... If you go home, she will kill everyone. Before the rooster is able to cock three times, if you go home, she will murder your family. All you must do is believe me and your family will be saved. Yes. Again, belief and the cock crowing. But at the same time, the shaman is asking him to believe him. Right. There is no reason. Well, okay, there are some reasons and we'll get to them in a little bit. But back to Catholicism, right? Like the cock crowing. Peter's denial of Jesus. So Jesus told Peter, right? Peter's like, oh, Jesus, I love you. You're great. I would never deny that I'm one of your apostles. And Jesus is like, you will. You will deny me three times before the cock crows in the morning. So this is maybe a little bit of a modification of that. But in some versions of the story, depending on which versions you're reading or which interpretations you're reading, the cock crows twice before Peter finally admits that, yes, he is an apostle of Jesus, right? Uh, so that's going to happen to John Goo coming up here is the cock's going to crow three times before he dis- takes decisive action. Or sorry, twice. The cock's going to crow twice before he decides to take decisive action. So what happens, just real quick, Peter's like, nah, dog, you're my man. I love you. I'd never. And then Jesus is arrested. Peter runs into a servant or a maid, a woman. And she's like, hey, wait a minute. Aren't you the guy that fo- that's following Jesus? And he's like, woman... I don't know him, in quotes. Apparently, that's what he says in some translations. Woman, I don't know him. And then around other people, either that woman or another woman says, he's one of Jesus's followers. And he's like, nah. And then the group of people are like, no, you definitely are. You have a funny accent. And he says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Again, certain translations, that's literally what he says. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> And then the rooster crows. In some cases, this is the second time that the rooster's crowed. And then as Jesus is being carted through because he's been arrested, right, he just looks at him. And Peter's like, oh, God. And he just breaks down sobbing. (laughs) Oh, fuck, he was right. He predicted it. I did deny him. So, again, denial, doubt. These are subjects of the film. Yeah, because what are you trying to say? What's your point? Uh, What about denial am I supposed to learn here? One thing I think that the movie's trying to say is look for divinity. How am I supposed to know who to believe? Look for divinity. But again, he goes to the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church is like, there's nothing you can do about it. And that's like totally ineffectual. 
So it's it's really weird. He goes to the hospital, and the hospital's like, we don't know what the fuck's going on. It's totally ineffectual. So is it embracing the shamanistic element of it? But then the shaman's a villain. So, like, what is it? Well, okay, so you got to look for the good shamanism. And I'll tell you how you can do that in a second. And it's actually going to overlap with the Jesus metaphors mm. a little bit. So anyway, she says, yes, just believe and your family will be saved. We see that Hyojin is home now and she's ravenous again. And the mom and the grandma are like, what the fuck is going on? 2-3 finds the man in a cave somewhere near his house in the woods near the Japanese man's house. He finds him there and he is still alive. And he says, what is your true form? I think you're the devil. And the Japanese man agrees, I am the devil, you're already certain of it. Like, basically, like, I might as well be, because you believe I am, and you're going to behave accordingly, so what does it matter if I am or I'm not? That's why you came here carrying a sickle, because he was, he had a weapon in his hand, right? Whatever you say, I won't change your mind, and 2-3 tells him, I will believe you, that you're a demon, if you reveal to me your true form. Back with Jong-gu, he gets a call from the shaman again. And the shaman's like, don't be tempted by her. She's in on it. She says, don't go home before those three crows. Two, three says to the stranger, just tell me the truth and I will leave you alone. And the stranger says, leave me alone? Whoever said I was going to let you leave? Yeah, and then he transforms into this <laughs> into really creepy-looking demon. And then he's, like, taking photographs of him right before he's about to die. Yeah, he's definitely about to die. And so you see this demon version of the Japanese man with a camera in front of his face, you know? Is that a Japanese stereotype? Oh. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I know it very much is in America. I don't know about there, but, I mean, it plays into the plot because they take pictures. Totally. He does offer before that, though, he does the whole Doubting Thomas thing, or rather to the Eleven Apostles, where he says, you know, touch me and see a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, which is the, the Luke quote from the beginning of the movie. And then that is where the Doubting Thomas stuff comes in. Jong-gu decides what he wants to do, whether he wants to believe the mystery woman or not, when he sees Hyojin's barrette. And he's like, oh my god, it's you. You're doing it. And she says, that's not it. No, don't do it. So what is he not thinking of in this moment? The fact that the Japanese man also had all that stuff too? Yes! So, so you have to think about what's different. And I think this is the whole shamanistic thing coming, coming out. Is that everything that she has, she's wearing a coat. Like a button-up, long-sleeve button-up that belonged to one of the victims. She's wearing the barrette. Is she has everything from the upper half of the body. And the Japanese man had things from the lower, dirtier half of the body. Oh. Like shoes, right? So that's one of your signifiers. Yes, they both were trying to influence Hyojin. He can't deny that they both were trying to influence her. But the Japanese man was the one who was taking... Things from the less clean parts of the body, religiously clean, I mean. And those mysterious woman was taking things from the holier parts of the body. I see. Yeah. So, interesting. 
also tying back into Kelsey, you had mentioned, I don't think we got it in the recording. What was the mysterious woman doing when we first met her? Well, she's throwing rocks. And we said, I said, that it's weird and awkward and random, but kind of funny. But now, looking back on it, it makes perfect sense because she's throwing rocks because she is without sin. She's the holier one. Mm -hmm. But see how it's overlapping this whole, like, shamanistic view and Catholic view. But I think they absolutely wanted you to get that reaction, the same reaction I had. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. I think they wanted you to have What is wrong with that. this weird person? Yes. What is she doing? It's a little bit silly, but it's definitely weird. But yeah, no, she is the one who is without sin. Maybe not literally without sin, but she's the holier one. She's casting stones, right? This is when she says, the reason your daughter was picked is because her father it was a sinner because he suspected yeah. someone else. The fuck does that mean? Yeah, that's also vague and nonsense. He shouts back, no, no, no. The whole reason I went to the Japanese man's house is because she was already possessed. That's the whole reason I went. And then I found proof. So no, I didn't suspect the wrong man. And no, that didn't happen first. So it's complete nonsense what she's saying. So is she the holy and correct one? The movie is wholly, with a W, uninterested in telling you that. I I feel like it is either intentionally or ineptly scrambling things. Yes. One of the two. But he's going to go home and his daughter's going to have killed everybody. Yeah. But we see those flowers die that were mounted that maybe was some sort of ward against the spirits that die when he shows up beforehand. Here's another weird thing. He shows up, and they're already dead. His family's already dead. So, was it time travel? Or it could just be because he was going to break it, she killed him. Killed I mean, him you could say, time. you could argue that that's a religious thing, that thinking about committing a sin is a sin. I don't know. But the flowers don't die until he arrives. And he has until the third crow to get there and he does make it there before the third crow so what if he just thought about it but he didn't logistically make it there before the the crow well i guess maybe if he hadn't gone she could have magically changed it back yeah that's what i'm saying like it was schrodinger's murder scene Hmm. that she is both a killer and not a killer until she is observed And then he dies, and he's like, I'm so sorry, I can protect you, I'm a cop. And it's like, what is supposed to be happening here? Are you supposed to think that he's super pathetic? No, he's he's disappointed that it was his job to protect her and he failed. But like, it's, it just makes you not, it just doesn't make him, No, totally. It, again, we're talking about a Korean movie, which historically is full of melodrama and tragedy. So you're gonna have tragedy at the end of your movie you should be expecting it at this point but yeah he holds her and he complains about how he wasn't able to save her and it cuts il guang shows up the shaman looking at all of the carnage at the house and then he finds jonggu who is still alive He's just dying. And he takes his picture. And he takes his picture. 
Very, very depressing. Uh-huh. Ha, 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 happy Father's Day. <laughs> yeah, Happy Father's Day. We, we, we feel some more stuff. Il Guang, the shaman, goes back to his car. He spills a box full of photographs. Those are the ones in the Japanese man's hut. So we know not only is he maybe sinister, he's also collaborating with the Japanese man. He, he had never destroyed that stuff. He had given it to Il Guang to carry. And then apparently there's a deleted scene at the end of this where the Japanese man is sitting on the side of the road. He tries to tempt a child with candy and the mom grabs her child before she reaches him. And then a car drives up and that's Il Guang and he picks him up. And then the mysterious woman watches the car drive away. And that's how the movie ends. That was removed from the final version of the movie. But I'd forgotten that, yeah, he has all those pictures. So, yes, it is confirmed that they were working together. Yeah, almost certainly. That's the end of the movie. I, I feel like we got kind of all of our thoughts out as we were talking about it. Yeah. There's kind of not much more to say. No. So what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? There are 85 reviews. I actually know. What is it? It's 99. It is 99 And yes, that is way too high. The Wailing delivers an atmospheric, cleverly constructed mystery. Is it? Is it though? Is it cleverly constructed? Just thinking back on the one time we watched it, we were able to point out things that are either bad storytelling or they're mistakes. So like, is it cleverly constructed? Or something got lost in translation. Or it's contradictions, things that... Oh, you can just chalk up to, oh, they're just trying to confuse you. Well, then you can say that about fucking any movie that gets anything wrong. And these are things that are not just nitpicks and plot holes. It's things that directly contradict the ending of the movie. I think they want, yeah, I think they just wanted to confuse you on purpose. Yeah. I don't think that they did things unintentionally here, but. Neither do I. I don't think that that. For me, that just doesn't work. It's not a license to just do whatever you want and go, I was just trying to confuse you. Like, I was just trolling you. Oh, you didn't get it? That means, haha, I won. Like, Mm -hmm. no, you created something that's literally, by design, impossible to get. It is not a cleverly constructed mystery. There are no clues that you can reliably grab hold of because there are equal contradictory clues. There are things that the movie does and says that directly contradicts the conclusion of the film. So, again, the not themes, but subjects of doubt, denial, religion. Those are the themes that run. Those are the subjects that the movie touches on, but ultimately has nothing to say about, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, cleverly constructed mystery whose supernatural thrills more than justify its imposing length. Go fuck yourself. It absolutely does not. Yeah, this movie is way too goddamn long. Mm-hmm. It's at least half an hour too long. At least. Remember how I said, oh, it feels like the movie's starting to wrap up here because he gets home and Hyojin is feeling good. There's at least another half hour after that. And it was already feeling too long by that point. Mm-hmm. No, it does not justify its length. I'm sorry. I understand if you think so. I disagree. I think Kelsey disagrees. Yes. It has a Metacritic of 81, which is a little bit more reasonable, but I still think is overrated. What would you give it? I think I was going to give it, um, I think I was going to give it a 79. 
Wow, that's so funny. I think it's a very good movie. I just, it's too long. It's too contradictory. It does things that just do not make sense. And I think that the acting is good, but it's also really depressing. And Right. Like, the ending just feels just overly so. <laughs> yeah. I, I say that's funny because that's exactly what I was going to give it. I think it's almost a punishment that it doesn't get into the 80s. Because it is a very well-filmed movie. Yes. It is beautiful. I was going to say, it's very pretty. It is well-acted. There are interesting characters throughout. But the bones of the movie, not the meat that you can really chew on, like we just mentioned, the bones of the movie are flawed inherently. And there are too many of them because the movie's just too fucking long. It cannot support this wonderful meat that is on these bones. So, like, just sliding in under 80 is, is almost like an acknowledgement of the fact that there's just too much to ignore. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if that sounds harsh. We gave the movie a 79. That's really high. Mm-hmm. In our in our ratings, that's a very good movie. <laughs> it feels like it says we're it feels like we're saying the movie sucks because it is so universally praised. It has a 99 on Rotten Tomatoes. I think people on- are willing to give passes. I think people are willing to yeah. give passes. When they don't. Like I said, because there's always the fear of, did I just not get it because I'm not from that culture? Sure. Yeah, no, I I mean, absolutely. Uh, And I think for some people, it's just, it's fascinating to see what's on the screen. And by the end, you're like, whoa, that was mind blowing. But if you take the time to, like we do with this show, actually break down what happens moment to moment. If you dissect it like the rotting corpse that it is, you start to notice a lot of the flaws with it. And I think that's the problem is a lot of these people don't. They see it. They were wowed by it. They write their review. And here we are having a conversation and breaking down all the elements we can. So, yeah, 79. Very good movie. Not good enough. Uh, So that is our Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Day, All you dads out there. Man, what a rough Father's Day. But it's a horror movie podcast, so what do you expect, right? Mm-hmm. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Next week, we've got some recommendations we're going to finally get to. It's been a while. Aaron suggested that we watch a movie called The Night Flyer, which is a vampire movie, so we're going to watch that. And... Digging Up the Marrow, which was recommended to us by Will. So thank you to Aaron and Will. Yeah. Uh, Night Flyer, you're not going to be able to find anywhere except for YouTube. So go ahead and look it up on YouTube. It's there. It's an okay quality, actually. <laughs> uh, Stephen King, Miguel Ferrer, and then Digging Up the Marrow is on a bunch of different services. So you shouldn't have any problem finding that one. That is next week for our recommendation week. So thank you, Aaron and Will. Until then, you can find us on our website, podcemetery.com, or on Twitter, at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there, but even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Happy Father's Day, slugger. Slugger.
gonna be a sick recording. I realized that, like, without anything else, it's impossible to tell that that was going to kind of be a play on Long December. But if you replace Long December with sick recording, there's nothing left over to make you think of Long December. If you're going to change Long December into anything, it needs to be Long Something Else or some other kind of December. It's June. I know. That's me, That's right, you are June. Hello, Junebug. Come to Daddy. Come to Daddy.